The White House reveals that Joe Biden has COVID. Michelle Obama is ready to release a new book. And the feds consider charging Hunter Biden. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Speaking of which, going online without ExpressVPN, it's like leaving your kids with the nearest stranger while using the restroom. I would never do that because I don't trust either the stranger or my, my own children. Well, most of the time it'd probably be okay, but you really shouldn't do that. That's the same thing with using your computer without ExpressVPN because somebody out there is looking for your data. Every time you connect to an unencrypted network in cafes, hotels, airports, basically any network that's not your own, your online data is not secure. Any hacker on the same network can gain access to and steal your personal data. Passwords, financial details, you name it. ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so hackers can't steal your data. Hackers can make some serious cash selling personal information on the dark web, but ExpressVPN has made it easier than ever to keep your information safe. Just fire up the app, click one button, you are instantly protected. And ExpressVPN works on all your devices like laptops, phones, and tablets so you can stay secure on the go. Secure your online data today at expressvpn.com slash Ben to get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Ben, expressvpn.com slash Ben. Protect your data the way I do. Expressvpn.com slash Ben. Get those three extra months for free. Well, the plague has hit him. Finally, after all these years, Joe Biden has now come down with COVID. I can joke about this because COVID is not a serious disease anymore for the vast majority of people who get it, particularly those who have been vaccinated 1,000 times. Joe Biden has been double vaxxed, triple vaxxed, quadruple vaxxed. His body is 96% vaccine at this point. He still apparently has mild symptoms from COVID. The other reason I can mock this is because the left has decided that if you get COVID, it's because of some moral wrong you did. The left is so religious. And if you read the Bible, then you'll see that there are circumstances in the Bible where people do things wrong and then God punishes them with a plague. Right? This happens to Miriam at one point. She says something bad about Moses and then God gives her leprosy. Uh, this is how the left views COVID. It's like if you're a bad person, if you did something wrong, that's when you get COVID. So I guess this is just God's revenge on Joe Biden for being a terrible president. That's the only way that I can read this. So Joe Biden apparently tested positive for COVID-19 uh, on Thursday morning, is at least when they announced it. Now, we don't know how long he's had COVID. He was going around unmasked. He was shaking hands with people. Oh, my God. The 79-year-old commander-in-chief was experiencing very mild symptoms, according to the White House. He's able to participate in regular meetings. He is taking Paxlovid, officials said. Karine Jean-Pierre said that um, he tested positive for COVID-19. She announced all of this. And, uh, and then, apparently, White House doctor Kevin O'Connor said the president is currently experiencing mild symptoms mostly rhinorrhea or runny nose and fatigue with an occasional dry cough, which started yesterday evening. Now, listen, he is in the cohort of the population that is most vulnerable to COVID. He is 79 years old, obviously, and has cancer. Oh, no, he doesn't have cancer. He just said he had cancer like a couple of days ago, but doesn't actually have cancer. The president of the United States did give a statement on Twitter, an update from him about his health. Here is what it sounded like. Hey, folks, guess you heard this morning I tested positive for COVID. But I've been double vaccinated, double boosted. Symptoms are mild. And, uh, and I really appreciate your inquiries and your concerns. But I'm doing well, I'm getting a lot of work done, I'm going to continue to get it done. And, uh, and in the meantime, thanks for your concern and keep the faith. It's going to be okay. Okay, but faith, it's good. And then he keeled over. They, they cut right before. He, he didn't actually keel over. That was actually take three. In take one, he said he had cancer. In take two, bizarrely, he said he had monkeypox. Take three, he said that he had COVID. And I'm not going to stop mocking because so many people have turned getting COVID into some sort of moral test. And, and not only that, your behavior around getting COVID 
was supposed to be extraordinarily strict, locked down. We certainly won't, weren't supposed to see pictures of you working during COVID. And there's a picture the White House put out of Joe Biden working. And the question is, who was in the room with him? Has he transferred the plague to them? Well, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the worst White House press secretary of my lifetime. She's really bad at it. Like, listen, I had major problems with Jen Psaki and her political point of view. I've had problems since she was a State Department spokesperson. But Jen Psaki was actually good at her job, which is to spin on behalf of the president of the United States. Corinne Jean-Pierre cannot spin, like, at all. She's just stuck in the ground, and she can't spin. It's like a weather vane that's been rusted over. So Corinne Jean-Pierre yesterday was asked about where Joe Biden got COVID. Now, I've been told for literally years that this is a deeply important question. In fact, the position of this administration for a long time may still be was to test and trace is that you were supposed to figure out who you could have given COVID to and who you could have gotten COVID from. We need to find the vectors of infection and then completely ignore the actual vectors of infection because we have to pretend that you need a mask up on an airplane, even though people don't get COVID on airplanes. We have to pretend that schools are chief vectors of infection, even though there's no evidence that schools were chief vectors of it. So, but we were supposed to be super concerned with how you got COVID. Now, here is the reality about COVID right now. As of now, this wasn't true at the very beginning. It's certainly true with Omicron. Everyone's going to get it. You're not going to know where he got it because everyone gets it. End of story. I was double vaxxed. I got it. My dad was triple vaxxed. He got it. My wife was triple vaxxed. She got it. Like everyone is going to get Omicron at a certain point because it's incredibly infectious. And I'm not saying the vaccines don't help people who are vulnerable. They probably do. If you're older, like Joe Biden, you needed to get double vaxxed and double boost and double boosted because Joe Biden is not somebody like in a normal run of the mill disease vector. He, he, he wouldn't be doing well. He's 79 years old and not in proper health. But Corinne Jean-Pierre, she's now saying that when it comes to the president, it doesn't matter where he got it. Probably he got it from that fist bump with, with MBS. Probably he, he, he gave credibility to MBS and MBS gave him COVID. But in any case, here was Corinne Jean-Pierre. Where was he infected? I, I don't think we know. Um, I certainly don't know if you, if you have any thoughts I, on I, it. Look, I, I don't think that that matters, right? I think what matters is we prepared for this moment. I think what matters uh, is what Dr. Jha just laid out. Uh, if we look at where we were, were a year and a half ago, this is a president, when he walked in, one of his first priorities was to make sure we had a comprehensive plan to get people vaccinated. And so now today, look, look to today, more and more people are getting closer to having a more normal life. Uh, vaccines are available. And as Dr. Jha said, if you have not gotten vaccinated, please do. If you have not, if you're, if you've not gotten boosted, please do. Uh, these are, uh, these are treatments that are going to keep you safe. And I think that's what matters here is making sure that we continue to do the work. And the good thing is that, uh, the president again has been, uh, uh vaccinated and double boosted. Okay. That, that is some bad spin there. It no longer matters where the president of the United States got or who he's been with. By the way, there are other people who are on the plane with Joe Biden who just came back from Saudi Arabia who have now come down with COVID. And Again, I'm old enough to remember because I'm more than two years old when Donald Trump was president and when there were a bunch of people who went to the White House and a bunch of people got COVID and it was super spreader event, Donald Trump evil. Remember when Donald Trump got COVID and this is like the end of the world and he was in the hospital and then he went in a car with people. And like, oh my God, he went in a car with people and then he came in in the helicopter. He went up on the steps of the White House. He's in that sort of, that balcony and he took off the mask. I was like, he took off the mask. He's going to kill everyone. Around. He was already immune at that point because he'd already had the virus. But oh my God, what if he turns around? He wa he's walking near someone. No. Now, now here's the thing. In order for all of this to be a non-story, all Joe Biden and the administration have to do is say a thing that would help them politically anyway. This is how inept they are. If one year ago they had said, listen guys, COVID's out there. You're probably going to get it. You have the means to deal with it. We have vaccines that are out there. It's going to be fine. None of this is a big deal. Everybody go back to work. 
If they had said this, half of the economic problems this administration would have been suffering from, half of the political problems this administration has been suffering from would never have materialized, but they couldn't do that. They keep hanging on to this. In LA, they're talking about remasking students. They will not let go of this. So because they will not let go of this, that means that when the president of the United States gets COVID, instead of everybody being like, well, I'm, you know, he got a cold, who cares? Instead of everybody reacting like that, it's like, oh my God, he got COVID. What do we do now? Why is God taking revenge on the president? No one. Okay, so KJP, Corinne Jean-Pierre, she was asked about whether he was too casual. Now, again, the rule is if a Republican gets COVID, anything they do is too casual. If somebody who's unvaxxed gets COVID, even if they are 21 years old and an Olympic athlete, well, everything they do is too casual. We have to lock you in an isolation tank for like five days. And then we have to we have to take some sort of catheter and feed you that way. That's the only way we can make sure that everyone will be safe. But according to Corinne Jean-Pierre, Joe Biden hasn't been too casual at all. I mean, sure, he was like out there shaking hands with literally everyone he could find over the last several days. And by the way, you're supposed to isolate once you get symptoms, not when you test positive. We'll get to that in just a moment. But she says he wasn't too casual at all. Does the president, does the White House, are there any regrets about the amount of time in sort of recent days and past weeks that we've seen him unmasked, shaking hands with people, hugging people, fist bumping, in close contact with crowds? In retrospect, was he too casual? No. I mean, look, I, I, I look at this is I've said this before from this podium. We have an incredibly contagious variant um, and we've had a protocol that I think has done a very good job protecting the president. The most important part of that protocol, by the way, is making sure that he was up to date on his vaccines and we had access to treatments. Um, the president wants to get out there and and be with and meet American people. Okay, yeah, well, we, uh, we get that. But when it was Donald Trump who wanted to be out there and meet the American people, then it was really, really bad that he that he did all of this sort of stuff. By the way, one of the things that he was saying when he went to the Middle East last time is that he was fist bumping in order to avoid COVID. But then he was shaking hands with people. And then he was like giving people bro hugs. So none of this makes any sense because none of the policies surrounding COVID from this administration has made any sense at all after the rollout of the vaccines. That's pretty much it. Ashish Jha, again, the White House COVID director, he he was asked about the Joe Biden decision to go around shaking hands with people even after symptoms had materialized, right? Because the, the rule is supposed to be, according to the CDC, that once you get the runny nose, once you get like the mild fever, you're supposed to isolate at that point before you even know whether you have COVID. He was asked about this. He said, well, that's not true for everyone. I mean, Joe Biden's one of the special people. It's not true for Joe Biden. Like when the CDC guidance yeah. says you should isolate if you have symptoms. Yeah, as soon as you became aware of your symptoms. So I'm asking, did he start isolating only after the positive test? And he had the symptoms before the positive test. It sounds like he had the positive test, was then questioned about, about any symptoms he had. And he said, oh, yes, I, I, I do have these other features. Which would suggest he didn't comply with the CDC guidance. I think he became aware of his symptoms of, of runny nose and sore throat this morning, thus when he developed the symptoms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but before or after the test is what I'm asking. I don't know the I don't know the exact like hour that he developed that he became aware of his symptoms. Are you asking like Within minutes, like when exactly did his symptoms well, that, be? That, that would be nice. And that would be perhaps one of the reasons for having his physician up here answering these questions. Well, the good news is that when you are the president of the United States, your own people don't hold you to account in any serious way. You don't have to follow any of the rules. But here's the thing. If you own a business, there are HR rules. And if you don't follow those HR rules, you are just going to get shellacked. Probably you'll end up losing a lot of money. I know you don't start your business to handle HR because... Who does? HR is like Toby. Who wants to deal with Toby? But here is the reality. You need an excellent 
HR protocol, and you need people who can handle it for you, this is why you need Bambi. Bambi is an HR platform built for businesses like yours, so you can automate the most important HR practices and get your own dedicated HR manager. An in-house HR manager can cost up to $80,000 a year, but with Bambi, your dedicated HR manager starts at just 99 bucks a month. No hidden fees, you can cancel anytime, and Bambi's HR autopilot automates your core policies, workplace training, and employee feedback. Then, your dedicated HR manager will help you navigate the more complex parts of HR and guide you to compliance. Available by phone, email, or real-time chat. Again, HR is one of the trickiest parts of any business. If you can get it solved quickly and easily and inexpensively, why wouldn't you just do that? Go to Bambi.com slash Shapiro right now for your free HR audit. You run your business, let Bambi run your HR. Spell B-A-M-B-E-E.com slash Shapiro. That's Bambi.com slash Shapiro to get started. Make sure your HR is taken care of because if you don't, it's going to come back and bite you directly in the butt. Head on over to Bambi.com slash Shapiro right now. Get that free HR audit. By the way, you know who's really unworried about this is Joe Biden. So apparently, according to Kate Bennett, the CNN White House correspondent, Flotus and POTUS, First Lady and the President, will isolate away from each other for the next few foreseeable days. Joe Biden will travel later this afternoon to Wilmington, Delaware. President Biden will remain at the White House. So she's like, I will catch you later, Joe. <laughs> Just leaving him at the White House with COVID. She's like, I got to go back to Delaware. They go back there every weekend because Joe Biden basically is in a political retirement home and he goes on these field trips to Washington for a few days a week and then he goes back to the nursing home in Delaware every, every weekend. But Jill is not going to, to miss time on the beach in Rehoboth. So she, she's headed off to, to Delaware and she's going to leave Joe Biden behind. The real question is how Joe Biden survives the loss of America's greatest doctor. I mean, if America's greatest doctor isn't there to care for Joe Biden, frankly, I'm deeply worried about his health. And we know for a fact that she is just, she's a medical professional. That's why we call her Dr. Jill the greatest of all doctors, except for Dr. Pepper and Dr. J. Meanwhile, CNN's Caitlin Collins, she she points out, yeah, Joe Biden's super old, and so we're concerned about him because he's old. I, I love that the media will now talk about the fact that he's old. Well, did he suddenly become old? Did he go from being like 30 years old in 2020 to 79 years old in 2022? Is that how that works? I'm pretty sure that's not how aging works. I'm pretty sure he was super old a couple of years ago when we were all saying he was super old. And you were like, no, He's totally fit as a fiddle and ready for love. He is ready to go, man. That guy, he is so vital. And if you point out that sentences, complete, fluid, never come out of his face hole, if you point that out, that's because he has a stammer, guys. You're like, that, what, what are you talking about? He overcame his stammer when he was in his like teens and 20s. He hasn't talked about this in public life forever. And then the minute that he is just falling into senility. It's like, well, you know, it's not senility. It's the stammer. Well, now they're noticing he's really old. So I guess that's fair game. Now here's CNN's Caitlin Collins pointing out that his age raises concerns. Yeah, no bleep. Is there from White House officials, sources you talk to, any level of concern uh, among staff in the White House now, given this positive test? When you talk to them, they'll say he is vaccinated, he is double boosted, we follow all these guidelines. But I think when any time someone who is in their late 70s gets COVID-19, it does raise concerns. And that is why they worked so hard to try to avoid it and to try to make sure that he did not contract COVID-19. Well, yes, that, that would be the reason. By the way, Joe Biden's approval rating continues to sink ever greater. President Kamala was trending yesterday, which is just, oh, no. <laughs> but the reason it was trending is because, of course, nobody actually wants Joe Biden to be president anymore. According to the Des Moines Register, less than one quarter of Iowans say they think Joe Biden should make another run for the White House in 2024. Less than one quarter, 23% of Iowans say they hope Biden runs for president again. 67% say they hope he does not. Brutal poll numbers for the president of the United States. So a lot of people are like, well, you know, we pray for the health of the president and then we wish him to go. 
AOA. Well, this leaves a great vacuum at the top of the Democratic Party. The person that a lot of people fear on the right, including me, is Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama has cultivated this very popular Oprah-like image in the aftermath of her time in the White House. She is not actually a unifying figure. If you go back to read her Princeton thesis all about systemic American racism, she was doing critical race theory before CRT was a thing. She was the same person who said in 2008 she'd never been proud of her country until the Democratic Party nominated her husband for president of the United States. She's extraordinarily radical. When you read what she has to say about half the country in Barack Obama's memoirs, this does not sound like somebody who's a great unifier, but the media have turned her into a great unifier largely on the basis of her 2018 book, Becoming, which sold 17 million copies worldwide. Well, good news, guys. If you love Becoming, there is now a new book titled The Light We Carry, which just the title alone makes you want to shove your head into an oven. The Light We Carry. Uh, yeah, I understand that, that there is a book called The Things We Carried about the Vietnam War. It's actually quite a good book. That is not the same as The Light We Carry. So it's like a, a mixture between ta Coates' title and Tim O'Brien and the, the light we carry. Ugh, it just sounds interminable and horrible. Anyway, Crown is going to publish the 336-page book on November 15th, almost exactly four years after the release of Becoming. According to the publisher's announcement, quote, in the light we carry, Mrs. Obama offers readers a series of fresh stories and insightful reflections on change, challenge, and power, including her belief that when we light up for others, we can illuminate the richness and potential of the world around us, discovering the truth. And new pathways for <laughs> Prague. Sorry, I, I almost got through the sentence. Uh, this this hippy-dippy New Age crap is just so, oh, it's so boring. Drawing from her experiences as a mother, daughter, spouse, friend, and first lady. Wow, she has experiences as a, as a friend, unlike the rest of humanity. And as a, as a daughter, unlike literally all human females. And as a... She shares the habits and principles she has developed to successfully adapt to change and overcome various obstacles. The earned wisdom that helps her continue to become. And Penguin Random House has announced it's renaming an annual writing prize in her honor, the $10,000 Michelle Obama Award for Memoir. That's definitely what we need. We need more memoirs. It's part of an awards program for public high school students. Who wants to read a high school student's memoir? I, I mean, seriously, that, that's a question. What have you done in high school that, that merits a memoir? Just sounds like a, a mash note. That sounds terrible. They, they have quotes from Michelle Obama's new book here. And I'm, I have to mock it because it's just so terrible. This is just terrible, terrible writing. Quote, I've learned it's okay to recognize that self-worth comes wrapped in vulnerability. And that we share as what we share as humans on this earth is the impulse to strive for better always and no matter what. Ah, oh, the platitudes are stacked so high. They're teetering. They're teetering. And if that, that stack of platitudes should fall, it will destroy fully major American cities. Recognize that self-worth comes wrapped in vulnerability. What absolute horse crap. She says, we become bolder in brightness. What does that even mean? Bolder in brightness. Ooh, because sparkly. Bolder in brightness. If you know light, you know yourself. If you know your light, you know yourself. Uh, I remember when we used to make fun of Donald Trump because he said that sunlight should be used as a, as a way of killing COVID. And you should ingest sunlight. If we could find a way to get sunlight into your body, that it would kill COVID. Apparently, Michelle Obama agrees because if you know your light, you know yourself. You know your own story in an honest way. Who gives? In my experience, this type of self-knowledge builds confidence, which in turn breeds calmness and an ability to maintain perspective, which leads finally to being able to connect meaningfully with others. And this, to me, is the bedrock of all things. She should not be president based on these two paragraphs alone. This is a 
horror show. This is a, this is garbage mantra esque nineteen sixties hippy dippies crap. Oh my goodness, that's ah, that's bad writing. It is it is vague. It is nonsensical. But it has a lot of buzzwords that that people I guess make, makes them feel warm and fuzzy inside, like brightness and light and self knowledge and calmness. Ooh, okay, that. I'll never understand the appeal, but apparently she's a thing. So she has a brand new book coming out. Listen, Democrats are going to try and draft her. They'd be a fool not to try to draft her because obviously she has more popularity than any of the major Democratic candidates. Who are they going to go to? If Joe Biden drops out, who exactly do they have left? It can't be Kamala Harris. Nobody likes Kamala Harris. Not sure Kamala Harris likes Kamala Harris. Like nobody likes Kamala Harris. Pete Buttigieg? Pastor Pete? Uh, he of, of great fame, South Bend, Indiana mayor who couldn't fill potholes over there and who tells Christians that they are misreading the Bible if they read the Bible. That guy who took a two-month paternity leave when his husband had suffered no physical injury in the birth of their, their children and then he was gone for two months and no one even knew. That's, a, that's Pete Gavin Newsom who is busily locking down schools in Los Angeles while declaring that Florida is a place that that is cracking down on freedom. J.B. Pritzker, who has to be lowered into the Illinois Capitol by Crane. Like, who, who, <laughs> this is your, this is your, of course, they're going to, they're going to have to try to draft Michelle. I would be shocked, actually, if they didn't try to draft Michelle Obama. Well, one final note on, um, on the foibles of the Biden family here. Apparently, the feds are thinking now pretty seriously about charging Hunter Biden with a crime. Remember that time when it was irrelevant that, that Hunter Biden was being investigated? Well, not so much anymore. The federal investigation into Hunter Biden's business activities is apparently nearing a critical juncture as investigators weigh possible charges and prosecutors confront Justice Department guidelines to generally avoid bringing politically sensitive cases close to an election, according to people briefed on the matter. While no final decision has been made on whether to bring charges against Biden's son, sources say the probe has intensified in recent months along with discussions among Delaware-based prosecutors, investigators running the probe, and officials at the DOJ. Discussions recently have centered around possibly bringing charges that could include alleged tax violations and making a false statement in connection with Biden's purchase of a firearm at a time he would have been prohibited from doing so because of his acknowledged struggles with drug addiction. Well, those tax violations could theoretically drag his father into it because there's all sorts of evidence that his dad knew that he was having tax troubles and that he was basically going around to foreign countries picking up bags of cash from pretty dirty players. Also potentially in play are Justice Department guidelines governing politically sensitive investigations during an election year. They say they want to beat the election to the punch, essentially. If they're going to do it, they have to do it now because they don't want to charge Hunter Biden a year out from the election. That could impact the election itself. Well, we're keeping an eye on those charges and Hunter Biden, I'm sure, is as well. He's probably soiling his underwear at the thought. But as long as you're thinking about underwear, think about the best underwear. I'm talking about Tommy John underwear. They grace this magnificent tuchus right at this very moment. When you wear Tommy John, you are that much cooler. You can do everything better thanks to breathable, lightweight fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. With dozens of comfort innovations, Tommy John will keep you looking and feeling cool all season long, from lounging at home to summertime fun. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. With over 17 million pairs sold, people love their Tommy John underwear and their loungewear. 
I love my Tommy John underwear. It's pretty much all I wear at this point. It doesn't just make you feel cooler. You actually are cooler. You're actually seven degrees cooler than cotton in Tommy John's Apollo underwear. There's no risk. You're covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or is free guarantee, which is the best guarantee on the market. Shop TommyJohn.com slash Ben right now. You get 20% off your very first order. Get 20% off right now at TommyJohn.com slash Ben. Again, that's TommyJohn.com slash Ben. See site for details. TommyJohn.com slash Ben right now. Get 20% off your very first order. They're the underwear that I use and that I trust. You should do the same. TommyJohn.com slash Ben. And meanwhile, the, the Republican candidate for governor of New York was physically attacked yesterday but he was not injured, according to the Associated Press. Representative Lee Zeldin, Republican candidate for New York governor, was attacked by a man who apparently tried to stab him at an upstate event Thursday. The congressman managed to escape uninjured, according to his campaign. There is video of the event. You can actually see Lee Zeldin standing on stage as a man approaches him and seems to lunge forward. Zeldin grabs him by the wrist and is able to at least neutralize him for the moment. It looks like he was carrying, the. it kind of looks like brass knuckles that are edged on the top. It apparently has some stabbing implements on the top. He's kind of holding it like this. And it looks as though he's going to, to stab Lee Zeldin. According to NPR, Zeldin was giving a speech when a man climbed on stage and appeared to begin wrestling with the congressman, said Katie Vincent, a spokesperson for his campaign. A video of the event in Parenton posted on Twitter showed the man appearing to grab Zeldin's arm before the two fall to the ground as other people try to intervene. Zeldin's campaign said the attacker was taken into custody. The congressman continued his speech. There are no actual details on the attacker or his weapon at this point, according to the New York GOP chair, although we have seen some pictures of the weapon. According to Langworthy, he says, Zeldin had just a little scrape, but it wasn't what anyone would consider an injury. The chair said he was told that Zeldin's running mate, former New York Police Department Deputy Inspector Allison Esposito, was there and among those who helped to subdue the man also. Langworthy called on Hochul, the, the governor of New York, current governor, Kathy Hochul, who again took the job because Andrew Cuomo couldn't stop grabbing ass or killing old people. Uh, Langworthy is calling on Hochul, to issue a security detail for Zeldin to protect him on the campaign trail. Hochul, in a statement condemned the attack, said she was, quote, relieved to hear that Congressman Zeldin was not injured and that the suspect is in custody. Well, I'm, I'm sure she is. And again, I don't blame politicians for other politicians getting attacked unless they actually call for violence against the other politicians. Just a consistent rule that I have. It is fair to note here that according to Breitbart, Hochul sent out a press release urging her supporters to RSVP to her Republican challenger Zeldin's upcoming campaign stop just hours before a man rushed onto the stage at one of Zeldin's events in a failed attack. According to Breitbart, Hochul's campaign sent out a press release just hours before the failed attack on Zeldin that blasted out the time and location of several of Zeldin campaign's upcoming stops. Hochul claimed Zeldin and his team would spread, quote, dangerous lies, misinformation, and his far-right agenda at these campaign events. The press release said, quote, Big Lie Lee and his entourage of extremists kick off the statewide MAGA Republican bus tour, which will make stops across the state peddling dangerous lies, misinformation, and his far-right agenda. Also, the New York governor claimed that Zeldin would be joined by top anti-abortion advocates, NRA enthusiasts, and a cast of extremist groups. She urged her supporters to RSVP to hear about Zeldin's election integrity task force and his recent election fraud scandal in which his campaign photocopied over 11,000 duplicate petition signatures. You sent your supporters after him and they came, said Arthur Schwartz, who is a Republican activist. Now, again, the the attempt by Hochul to suggest that there was some sort of extremist activity happening, that he was a dangerous man, then somebody shows up at Zeldin's event and tries to stab him. If this had happened in reverse, we all know what the headlines would be. If there were a Democrat and some some quote unquote activist attempted to stab the Democrat, the Democratic candidate, and the Republicans had directed people to go to the campaign event because dangerous lies were being spewed there. 
Presumably, that Republican would then be hauled onto the carpet by the media and asked why exactly they'd incentivized such an attack. I say this, obviously, because this is exactly the angle that the left has been taking with regard to January 6th. The, 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 the angle the left has been taking on January 6th is it's not just that Donald Trump said things that were not true between November 4th and January 6th. It's not that he legally attempted to pursue remedies that he had no business pursuing or that the remedies he attempted to pursue had no legal basis. It wasn't that. It was that he somehow created the incentive for rioting at the Capitol, even though he never called on people to riot at the Capitol. He called on people to peacefully march to the Capitol. And they, you're going to have one rule for everybody. It's got to be the same rule. If Kathy Hochul is telling people to go to other people's campaign events because they're spewing dangerous lies there and then somebody tries to stab her opponent, well, I mean, if you're going to use the Donald Trump standard that the left likes to use, then you have to talk about her moral culpability for what happened. If not, then not. So I'm in the not category, meaning I don't like that Kathy Hochul is encouraging people to go to her opponent's events while, well, suggesting untruthfully that it's an extremist event filled with dangerous lies, et cetera, et cetera. I don't like that sort of stuff. I didn't like him when Donald Trump did that sort of stuff either. But that's not the same thing as blaming people for actual violent attacks. So the Democratic Party yesterday, along with Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, they did their January 6th specials. Another January 6th special. Ooh, the most highly awaited special since like the Happy Days reunion. That was, everybody was, was in on this thing. They, they loved it. People were really up for it. The media particularly. I don't know what the ratings are yet. I would imagine they are in the dozens, but the, the, the media were just over the moon about this thing. We were supposed to find out revelatory new information about Donald Trump's activities during the riots. Oh, you mean the, oh, you mean the uh, revelatory new information that between the beginning of the riots and when Donald Trump released a public video, he didn't do anything? That's not revelatory. We were there. Like, we all remember it. This not, the, again, the biggest problem with the January 6th committee is there's no there there. It's a reminder that Donald Trump acted very badly leading up to January 6th and did not act well on January 6th also. But people have their opinions on that, and those opinions are not going to be changed on any of this. And so they're they still out there getting their hands on, on materials from January 6th. One of those materials uh, was uh, apparently a Trump official saying that Donald Trump was watching this on TV while the Capitol was sacked. Again, we, we knew this already, but okay. Was the president in that private dining room the whole time that the attack on the Capitol was going on? Or did he ever go to, again, only to your knowledge, to the Oval Office, to the White House Situation Room, anywhere else? So that's my recollection. He was always in the dining room. Yeah, did, what did they say, Mr. Meadows or the president at all during that brief encounter that you were in the dining room? What do you recall? I think they were, everybody was watching the TV. Do you know whether he was watching TV in the dining room when uh, you talked to him on January 6th? Um, it's my understanding he was watching television. When you were in the dining room in these discussions, was the on, was the, the violence capital visible on the screen on the, on the television? Yes. Okay, so um, I'm not sure what that is supposed to demonstrate other than what we already knew, which is that Donald Trump knew what was happening at the Capitol building, and then he didn't act in the way that he was supposed to. And, again, and, he was impeached by the House over exactly this. So I'm like, and? So the January 6th committee brought forward evidence that the day after January 6th, Donald Trump gave a speech from the podium in which he had a very tough time saying that he lost the election. I mean, again, I'm, I'm wondering where is the meat here, considering that it is now currently July 22nd, 2022, and he's still not saying that he lost the election. So like, we, you mean back then he's saying the same thing that he says now? Why, I am, I am shocked and appalled. Anyway, here are the outtakes of Donald Trump. I would like to begin by addressing the heinous attack yesterday 
And to those who broke the law, you will pay. You do not represent our movement. You do not represent our country. And if you broke the law, you can't say that. I'm not gonna, you, I already said you will pay. The demonstrators who infiltrated the Capitol have defied the seat of dust. It's defiled, right? See, I can't see it very well. Okay, I'll, I'll do this. I'm going to do this. Let's go. But this election is now over. Congress has certified the results. I don't want to say the election's over. I just want to say Congress has certified the results without saying the election's over. Okay? But Congress is certified. Now Congress is Yeah, right. Now Congress is I didn't say over, so let, let me see. I would like to begin by addressing the heinous attack yesterday. Yesterday is a hard word for me. Ah, uh, good. Take the word yesterday, because it doesn't work with the heinous attack on our country. Say on our country. Want to say that? No, 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 no. My only goal was to ensure the integrity of the vote. My only goal was to ensure the integrity of the vote. On January 7th, one day after he incited an insurrection based on a lie, President Trump still could not say that the election was over. Wait, it, it, I have a question. I mean, first of all, I'm sure that's true, but also that is not what those outtakes show. Those outtakes just show Trump trying to read a speech and then going back and revising the speech through and through. Like they have outtakes there where he just screws up a word, like yesterday. I don't know what that, what is that outtake supposed to show exactly? He doesn't like the word yesterday. My God, impeach. He doesn't like the word yesterday. The January 6th committee, again, they are out over their skis. They have made suggestions that they do not have the evidence to actually backfill. And again, all this is going to do, the, the, the actual countervailing effect of this is going to be pretty bad for the Biden administration because Merrick Garland is going to have to decide whether to prosecute Trump. Democrats desperately want Merrick Garland to prosecute Trump. So Merrick Garland was asked about this yesterday. And he said, anyone criminally responsible for January 6th will be prosecuted. But again, most Democrats believe that Trump was criminally responsible, even if that's not true. So here's Merrick Garland. We have to hold accountable every person who is criminally responsible for trying to overturn a legitimate election. And we must do it in a way filled with integrity and professionalism, the way the Justice Department conducts investigations. Both of these are necessary in order to achieve justice and to protect our democracy. Okay, well, uh, all the pressure is going to be on Merrick Garland. So for all the talk about how this is going to hurt Republicans, um, wait about a month and we'll see how this works out. Already in just one second, we'll get to all the economic news. The White House keeps maintaining that a recession is not on the way, but according to the New York Times, a recession alarm is ringing on Wall Street. Well, we've been talking about January 6th since January 6th, which means like a year and a half, but we are also coming up on another important date, the first month anniversary of the launch of Daily Wire Plus. We couldn't have done it without you. If you're wondering what to watch on Daily Wire Plus this weekend, here are my personal recommendations. You have to watch What is a Woman. Matt Walsh's documentary is just the best thing out there. It's so good. You need to watch Jordan Peterson's brand new series, Dragons, Monsters, and Men. You need to watch Fauci Unmasked, taking apart Anthony Fauci, who will be leaving government, we hope, sometime this century. You need to watch my latest episode of The Book Club. Like, there's so much stuff for you to watch. Head on over to dailywireplus.com, become a member today, get 35% off your brand new membership. That is an excellent deal. Dailywireplus.com. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation.
Well, meanwhile, amidst all this cast, the thing that most Americans are still most concerned about is the economy. And the economy looks like it is headed in the wrong direction. According to the New York Times, Wall Street's most talked about recession indicator is sounding its loudest alarm in two decades, intensifying concerns among investors that the U.S. economy is heading toward a slowdown. That indicator is called the yield curve. It's a way of showing how interest rates on various U.S. government bonds compare, notably three-month bills, two-year, and 10-year treasury notes. Usually, bond investors expect to be paid more for locking up their money for a long stretch, so interest rates on short-term bonds are lower than those on long-term ones, right? Makes sense. You are essentially lending money to the U.S. government. So if you're going to be locking up your money for 10 years, you want a higher interest rate than if you are locking up your money for like a month. Plotted out on a chart, the various yields for bonds create an upward sloping line at the curve. But every once in a while, the short-term rates rise above the long-term ones. That's called negative relation. That negative relationship contorts the curve into what's called an inversion and signals that the normal situation in the world's biggest government bond market has been upended. It means that there's really not a lot of long-term faith that you're going to get your money back. And that is why you have a, a bond inversion. An inversion has preceded every single U.S. recession for the past half century. It's seen as, an, as a harbinger of economic doom, and it is happening right now. On Wednesday, the yield on two-year Treasury notes stood at 3.23% above the 3.03% yield on 10-year notes. A year ago, by comparison, two-year yields were over one percentage point lower than the 10-year yields. The Fed's mantra on inflation back then was that inflation would be transitory, meaning the central bank did not see a rapidly rising interest rate. As a result, shorter-dated Treasury yields remained low. Over the past nine months, the Fed has become increasingly concerned inflation isn't going to fade on its own. It's begun to tackle rapidly rising prices by raising those interest rates quickly. By next week, when the Fed is expected to raise rates again, its policy rate will have jumped about 2.5 percentage points from near zero in March. That is pushing up the yields on short-term Treasuries like the two-year note. So people are hungry for the two-year note, but they're not as hungry for the 10-year note. Investors are fearful the central bank will go too far, slowing the economy to such an extent it sets off a severe downturn. That worry is reflected in the falling longer-dated Treasury yields like the 10-year which tell more about the investors' expectations for growth. So what this means is that the markets are fearing that we are about to tip into recession. None of this is a great shock. The European Central Bank President, Lagarde, she came out yesterday, and uh, this is Christine Lagarde, she came out and she said that uh, the economy is clearly slowing at this point. I will now outline in more detail how we see the economy and inflation developing and will then explain our assessment of financial and monetary conditions. So, economic activity is slowing. Well, that is bad news for Joe Biden and pretty much everybody else in politics. According to the Wall Street Journal, the ECB, the European Central Bank, raised interest rates by a larger than expected half percentage point. They unveiled a new plan to buy debt of Europe's most vulnerable economies, seeking to protect the currency union as it navigates the twin threats of skyrocketing inflation and slowing economic growth. By the way, this just shows you that Brexit was not a bad idea because economic union between, say, Germany and Greece just means that Germany always ends up picking up the debt of Greece. The move takes the ECB's key interest rate to zero, ending the bloc's eight-year experiment with negative interest rates, capping two weeks of drama for Europe. Negative interest rates is a way of pumping money into the economy because the idea of a negative interest rate is basically the bank is paying you to take money out of the bank and then go and spend it on things. The rate increase comes despite rapidly accumulating challenges facing Europe's economy and the currency union's cohesion. From a looming energy crisis to a, to a protracted war next door, mounting political instability at home, and what many economists think has become an inevitable recession, some of these could make it difficult for the ECB to focus on combating inflation. So the Europeans are now having the same trouble that the Biden administration is having again. This is because pretty much all of the West moved in lockstep on economic policy. They all operated off the premise that the central banks should control the future of not only currency supply, but fiscal policy. And that ended with some really bad inflationary concerns. Plus, obviously, you have serious energy concerns on the continent in Europe. 
it, it, it continues to be an amazing thing that the Europeans and the Americans are pursuing policies when it comes to energy that do not loosen up the supply of energy, especially here in the United States. According to the Wall Street Journal, some of the hottest weather on record is now lifting natural gas prices, reversing last month's plunge, reviving a key driver of inflation. Remember, five seconds ago, the Biden administration was bragging they'd brought down the price of gas. Well, now it's going the other way again. Natural gas futures have jumped 48% this month, including 10% on Wednesday to eight bucks per million British thermal units. That is still more than $1 off the 14-year high hit just before a Texas natural gas export facility caught fire in early June. Yet the power plant and manufacturing fuel has bounced back to more than twice the price of a year ago, adding cost pressure across the economy. People were hoping that the falling commodity prices would show that inflation has peaked, but the heat wave is now forecast to create new bottle bottlenecks in the supply chain because people need more energy in order to power their air conditioners. For example, coal, like gas, is in high demand from power producers struggling to generate enough electricity to run the AC. The American corn crop is in its pollination stage when high heat and low moisture can reduce yields and contribute to higher prices for staples, ranging from gasoline to ground beef. Pricier natural gas adds not just to the cost of dialing down the thermostat, but also that for making fertilizer, steel, cement, plastic, and gas. Natural gas prices surged this year as demand from utilities, manufacturers, and overseas buyers, especially in Europe, outpaced supply growth and kept inventories well below normal. Well, the good news is that uh, the Biden administration is focused like a laser beam on making sure that we produce less energy. So we're in the middle of, a, of an inflationary spiral, but it's really hot outside, which means that we need more energy. The solution is to cut down on our supply of energy so that 100 years from now, it'll be slightly less hot than it otherwise would be. Genius policy, once more, coming from the Biden administration. They really are quite good at this. They really, really are. Speaking of them being quite good at this, it is amazing to watch the entire administration just gaslight on issue after issue. There's so many issues where they just say things are happening that are not happening. So in the economy, like, oh, we're not on the verge of a recession. Everything's fine. Inflation is just transitory. Well, now they continue to say Alejandro Mayorkas, our border patrol chief, essentially, because he's the head of the Department of Homeland Security. He says that the border is secure, which is weird because the border is not secure. Is the border safe? Now I was watching a news channel and they were talking about an invasion was happening and I got a little concerned. The border is secure. The border, um, we are working to make the border more secure. That has been a historic challenge. Well, I mean, it's not just a historic challenge. You're botching it. By the way, the Border Patrol is pushing back against Mayorkas. According to Fox News, multiple Border Patrol agents are pushing back against Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas's claim that the southern border is secure, just as Asians on the front lines of the historic migrant crisis are struggling to cope with the overwhelming numbers facing them. There are more than 207,000 migrant encounters in June alone, the fourth month in a row where the number of encounters breached the 200,000 mark. But Mayorkas, speaking at the Aspen Security Forum on Tuesday, dismissed claims about the border not being secure. He said, look, the border is secure. We're working to make the border more secure. This has been a historic challenge. He then faulted lawmakers who have said they won't commit to broad immigration legislation. So he's saying it's your fault for not creating a pathway to citizenship for people who are here illegally, which, as we all know, is called an immigration magnet. When you create a pathway to citizenship for people who are here illegally, this means that it incentivizes people to get here illegally as fast as humanly possible. Mayorkas said, quote, I said to a number of legislators who expressed to me we need to address the challenge at the border before they pass legislation, and I take issue with the math of holding the solution hostage until the problem is resolved. Well, I take issue with the fact that you think that leaving the border wide open while incentivizing people to cross it is good policy. It's an amazing thing. Border Patrol agents did not share Mayorkas' assessment. One agent said hundreds of thousands crossing every month is not the definition of secure. They are liars, and anyone who believes them are fools. Fair. Brandon Judd president of the National Border Control Council, 
also disputed the border is secure, pointing not only to the drug flows into the United States, but also the number of migrants that get past agents. A high-level CBP source told Fox News last month there have been 440,000 known gotaways since the fiscal year began in October. Almost half a million people are known gotaways, meaning not people who were captured by Border Patrol, and then we release them with a, with a date for them to come back to court to make an asylum claim. No, that means there are almost half a million people who have entered the country and they know they got away, which means the number is way higher because there are a lot of people who are unknown gotaways. That means probably you have three quarters of a million people who have crossed the border and nobody knows about it. Combined with the 400,000 known gotaways since the beginning of fiscal year 2021, that means that more than 800,000 illegal immigrants have gotten past agents since October of 2020 alone. 800,000, those are the ones we know about, which means well over a million people have entered the country since October 2020 without going through any sort of capture or screening by Border Patrol. And we've got the Department of Homeland Security telling us that everything is just fine. Judd told Fox News Digital, quote, Secretary Mayorkas knows the cartels use illegal border crossers to facilitate their higher value contraband, including criminal aliens and fentanyl. Secretary Mayorkas knows we have the least secure border in our history, as evidenced by the nearly 1 million known gotaways and over 100,000 overdose deaths from narcotics coming across our southwest border. Absolutely true. You wonder why Joe Biden remains extraordinarily unpopular? Again, it's basically because his policies are garbage and then his administration lies about them. All righty, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. First, can't forget to end your week by tuning in to The Andrew Clavin Show. Drew's show is every Friday. He's got an exciting evening planned for you. So head on over to dailywireplus.com, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. Tune in. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about The Ben Shapiro Show by giving us a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out some of our other Daily Wire shows. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Bradford Carrington, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Wydowski, associate producer Savannah Dominguez-Morris, editor Adam Saievitz, audio mixer Mike Coromina, hair and makeup artist and wardrobe Fabiola Cristina, production coordinator Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey, everybody, this is Andrew Clavin, host of The Andrew Clavin Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Clavin Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Clavin Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Clavin. Hey, 